Hey, I feel like I want to pray for uh, somebody here. I don't know who you are, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit saying that uh, there's somebody here, and maybe more than one, who are just, I'm not going to call you up, so uh, that uh, you just really want this to be true. You know, you come into this room, maybe you've been coming for a while, maybe you're new, I don't know, but you're just saying, I want this to be true. I want to, I want to figure out how to get from where I am to where it looks like some of these people got it going on with the Lord. I want to figure out how to get there. So if that's you, you can just stay right where you are and just kind of open up to this and uh, everybody else just agree with me. Father God, for the one or many who are here today, who are there, Lord, and who uh, look around and sense the reality of some something of your presence, some truth in your word, something, God, that that they long for. I just pray for them now. We pray for them. Thank you for their being part of us, whether they've been new here or been here for a long, long time, and just getting to the point of wanting what you want for them. Father, I pray for them, and I pray right now, the release of the Holy Spirit into their lives. I pray that they'll feel something, Lord. It won't just be about what they can think in their mind or feel with their emotions, but something even deeper, God, that there'll be a new birth. There'll be a new birth in them, the deepest part of the way you created them. Thank you for trusting us with them, Lord. Thank you for making this a church where where everybody can come, wherever they are, come, and they can come back to you, and they can do these things, God. And I just pray for them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's... We're going to give this a try, Jim, okay, see what happens. But we're trying out a new technology, and I'm a little, which is risky with me. See, we, So it's just a simple little pointer that advances the slides. And sometimes you wonder about the person back in the booth and say, how come they're not on the right slide that Tom's talking about or Tony's talking about? That's because we don't go by our notes. And they cannot read our minds. And so I thought we'd try making it a little easier, but it was pretty much a disaster in the first service, so we're going to give you another try, okay? (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, tonight I'm going to continue in the Jonah Bible study, doing a four-week Bible study in the book of Jonah, chapter a week. Tonight's chapter three because it's week three. See how that correlates? That means there's going to be one more. And... um, So what you want to do is come if you're interested in a Bible study. We don't do musical worship. We don't do uh, prayer ministry time. We just I just talk about the Bible for a while, and uh, you know, hopefully hopefully that helps. And um, tonight, Jonah chapter three raises a very interesting question, a puzzling question. And I'll give you a warning. It's a question that if you come, it's going to mess with your mind. It's going to mess with your head. And I don't even have the answer for the question we're going to raise. So I'm just going to raise the question. And it's, it's uh, Karen and I, as we were talking about this a month or so ago, about Jonah chapter 3, uh, we were just talking about that. Man, that's really odd. I wonder what that means. And so, uh, since I don't know, I'm going to uh, bring, in, I'm actually enlisting the help of a guy in our fellowship who just completed a master's thesis at uh, Ashland Theological Seminary in, in this subject, actually. And so he's going to take 15 minutes of the class only 15 minutes, uh, not 16, 15 minutes of the class to come and give you a summary of his thesis and uh, just kind of mess with your head a little more, okay? So that's tonight. So I guess it's just a kind of a little warning shot, you know. Uh, don't come if you're already confused. 
right. <laughs> and then I also want to give a kind of a shout out to our two main prayer gatherings that we have every week here, one on Tuesday night at 8 o'clock and one on Thursday morning at 6.15. Some of you said there is a 6.15 in the morning. Yes, there is. And there's a faithful band of believers who gather back here in the kitchen around the coffee pot and they pray and they worship God. And and these two prayer meetings are quite different uh, in their nature. The Tuesday night one is kind of loud and rowdy a lot of the times where the, 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 the Thursday morning one has a, has a more tender kind of a sweet, uh, quiet kind of nature to it. Um, the third Tuesday night is about, if you put these two together, worship and intercession. And the Thursday morning, I would say, is more about worship and intercession. So you see that? Thursday morning has coffee, and Tuesday night does not. So that's about all i got to say about that. Other than that, you know that the health of any fellowship, any fellowship, I'm persuaded this is across the board, the health of any fellowship is directly proportional to the vitality of its prayer ministry. So you come out. Come on out and try these because it will jumpstart your prayer life. It will help your prayer life. But also... um, uh, you need to know that there's no experience necessary in either one of these gatherings, that you don't have to be a skilled, you know, King James language poet to come and pray. In fact, we prefer you're not. Come on and pray. And nobody's going to call on you or embarrass you and say, hey, why don't you lead us in a prayer on that? And you go, oh, all right, no, it's all, you just find your own level. Am I right? Raise your hand if you've been to either of those two prayer gatherings. Look, see these people? They're as weird as you. You fit right in. You fit right in. John chapter 13. Well, we've got a little ring up here. I don't know if you can bring me back a little bit. John chapter 13, a new command. This is Jesus talking. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Lord, we, we just come to you. And it's your word. They're not our words. They're your thoughts. They're not our thoughts. And sometimes there's a gap between the veracity of your word and our ability to allow it to connect with us where we live. And sometimes we sin and struggle with it, Lord, and we try to make it out what we want it to say, and we know that that goes nowhere. And so right now, in the presence of these believers, these seekers, we just come and we say, Lord, would you, would you do your work of the Holy Spirit to come and cause the meaning of these words to fall on us in in good ways, in ways that you had in mind for us to hear, maybe from the foundations of the earth, you saw this particular gathering of people in these particular circumstances and in your grand wisdom and sovereignty called us together to somehow benefit from the bringing of your word today. And so I release my control over it, Lord, and I have words planned, but first, if you don't come and bless them, they're of no use. And second, if you have other better words, take these away from me and say the words that you want to say to your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's where we are. We're week number three in this series called Living Your Best Life because I think it's what we all want to do. We want to live the best possible version of the one life that we have. Agreed? All right, and have you noticed that some days are better than others? Some nights you put your head on the pillow and you go, that was a good day. You know, I walked with God. I walked in harmony and peace with other people. I, I walked out my life in a good way. I can sleep. Other days, it's the other side of that coin, isn't it? It's I can't believe I fell in that trap. I can't believe that that happened today. 
and you wonder, how, how can I begin my crawl from the depths of this pit back to, the other, back to where I was? Is anybody relating to those two options for a given day? Okay. And so um, what if I told you that the Bible is really generous in giving us teaching about how to live the first part of that so that we can consistently live the good day, so we can consistently come off with the best version of ourselves for any given day. Would you want to hear it? Say yes. Okay, good. I'm so glad you said that. Not entirely sure what I would have done if you said no. So, so far in this series, I said if we want to live the best version of our life, the Bible says that we have to have a life that's defined by prayer. It's got to be defined by prayer. We have to let God define our lives. We've got to see prayer as something so much more as a resource for when we're sick or in trouble or poor or whatever. It is all of that. We should call out to God for the needs of our lives. We've seen him do some very cool things in this room, have we not? And in this fellowship and beyond. But that's not the primary purpose of prayer. The primary purpose of prayer is to have communion with God, is to have fellowship with God. The Bible says that the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. The best version of our life is going to come as he orders our steps. Bill, right? We're, we're tracking. And so how are we going to let him order? By having conversation with God, by setting an essential discipline in our lives to take time to connect with God in prayer um, so that then that springs out and leaks out into the rest of our day. So first of all, we have to let God define our lives by prayer. Second, last week, it needs to be powered by praise. We've been seeing a pretty cool thing around here lately, and that is that as we praise God, he releases his power. And the more passionately we praise God, the more intense the release of his power. Has anybody noticed this but me? Hello? <laughs> and so, you know, we see a principle throughout Scripture, Old and New Testaments, that when we, when we praise God, meaning when we celebrate him just for who he is, regardless of anything he may have done, just for who he is, when we celebrate him, then power is released. And the best version of our lives, will, when, when we learn to cultivate a consistent life of expression of praise to God, celebrating, extolling him for just who he is, just his name, and then the power is released into our lives, and that's going to be, uh, that's going to be the best version of our life. Third, I'd like to move on today to talk about what I consider to be the third principle or feature of our lives, and that's that we need to be surrounded by the right people. If you want to live the best version of your life, you need to be surrounded by the right people. Now, before we get too far down that track, understand what I'm not saying. Work hard to understand this. I'm not saying, like, you shouldn't be hanging out with bad people. You should be hanging out with bad people. You should be, absolutely. I mean, Jesus did, right? Jesus was severely criticized for hanging out with the sinners. And he's like, well, who else would I hang out with, right? That's what I came for. So I'm not talking about some kind of a division of them and us at all. I mean, we're in the world, and we're meant to be salt and light in the world, yeah? And not in an arrogant kind of sucks-to-be-you kind of way but in a loving way, in a powerful way. We're meant to be in the world. But what I'm saying is that the best version of your life will come as you're intentional about developing certain relationships in your life that you will be a part of. They'll form, if you will, the nucleus of relationships in your life, and then you'll be ready to be light and darkness and salt in the world. Okay? Does that make sense? So that's what I mean by the right people. Don't let the devil go take you places. Well, they're just the wrong kind of people. There is no wrong person. There's no wrong kind of person, right? Jesus came for us all. He came for me when I was in the other category, right? If there is another category, he came for you too. Okay, 
So that's not what I mean. But uh, if we want to live the best possible version of our lives, I think we need to be very intentional about a nucleus of relationships that, let's see if this works, go. Ta-da, thank you, Jesus. Okay, so read this scripture again with me if you can see it. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How will people know that you're a disciple of Jesus? If you love one another. Because you carry some big, black, thick, Schofield Bible and you pound people on and you buttonhole people that you better turn or burn, you better get right or be left. I mean, is this, is this how people are... I go to church nine times a week, yep. I 20% tithe. Hello? That'd be all right. Just don't boast about it, all right? <laughs> I mean... I mean, all the ways that we want people to know we're Christians, Jesus is very, very clear. He said, by this one thing, this one thing, will all people know that you are my disciples if you love each other. If you can love each other, especially the likes of each other in this room, that's a good thing. We got a really crazy bunch in here. And if we can love each other, that's because Jesus' love is living inside of us. And it's a mark that we're his disciples. One cannot escape the reality that to be a Christian means to be living in healthy relationships. You cannot, there is no provision in the New Testament for you to be a Christian in isolation. There is no provision for it. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, I guess essentially that's true as long as you're saying, I do have regular ways of worshiping God with other believers and being in fellowship of love with other believers. I guess that's true, but that's kind of what we do at church, so I don't know why you wouldn't just come, right? It's really all we want to do here. It's really all we're trying to do here. Worship God and love one another. It's pretty simple here, isn't it? So uh, I just want you to know that there is no provision in the Bible for a person being a, a Christian in isolation. And I know some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been traumatized in relationships, and I get why this is a touchy subject for you. I get that, and I respect that. But I'm just saying, you're going to have to figure out how to deal with it because there's no way out. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that knows God loves because love is of God. So he says, let us love one another. Why? Because if we don't love, it says in that verse, we don't know God. And so you're saying, if I don't love people, I don't know God? That's what the Bible says. So if you're saying, I don't love people, then I wouldn't worry about trying to work on loving people. I would figure out what's broken in the connection with God. Because it's my relationship with God that causes me to be in love with you. Right? And vice versa, right? How else are you going to deal with this week after week, right? You don't love me because I'm good looking. That's for sure. You love me because God loves you. All right. And that's the key. So there's no way out of developing, living, and healthy relationships. Why, you ask me? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, perfect. Well, first of all, good. I need to put a little mirror here or something. Living in healthy, high tech, I know. Maybe I could just wear my bike mirror on my glasses here. Okay. (laughs) Because living in healthy relationship, what? It shows that we are living as a reflection of the Trinity. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, 
is living somehow mysteriously in singular relationship with himself. I don't know. Doesn't make any sense to me either. Okay. May I encourage you, please, to be suspicious of any teacher who says that he or she can explain fully the Trinity to you? Head for the door. Because, look, God is explaining himself to us in earthly terms. He's a heavenly reality. And, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is somehow three but one. Right? How do you really embrace that? How do you really deal with that? It's part of the mystery of God. It's part of the fun of knowing God. Look, if I thought I could explain everything about God, I'd know I hadn't found God, right? <laughs> I'd be real suspicious of anybody who said, oh, yeah, I got it all locked up. Forget about it. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Somehow. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, it says, now it's as though we're looking through a glass dimly, but then we'll see face to face. So you're looking through a dirty glass, right? And you can't see. And it says, now we know in part, but then we'll know fully. So first day in heaven is going to rock, yeah? Anybody going to heaven after this? I don't mean right after this, but I mean eventually. I mean, you're going to heaven after this because of Christ in your life. Can you imagine what first day is going to be like? I, I just can't. And at some point, I suppose, we're going to get a glimpse of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're going to go, oh, okay. <laughs> because we don't, have, we don't have the stuff. The most brilliant minds do not really have the stuff. The logic stops at some point, and we throw ourselves into the mystery of God, right? It's kind of like women. It's the same thing. <laughs> Guys, you don't understand them. You can understand a certain amount. They're certainly predictable to a point, but at some point you go, I don't know, I just love them, you know, <laughs> right? It's pretty much the same thing. So, but since somehow the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, is living in some kind of loving relationship with himself, then we as a reflection of God, which is what our purpose on the earth is, right? To be a reflection of God. We reflect where these, like the moon, we're like these dark surfaces and we reflect God. As we live in relationship with each other and as we overcome our differences, we sin against each other and forgive each other, embrace each other, reconcile to each other, all these things. As we do that, we're actually reflecting the Trinity. That's my heart. Ask me the second reason. Living in healthy relationship is another step toward being restored to our intended place in the created order. You go, now that's the third time I've heard you say that, Tom. Yep, that's right. Because each one of these features that I'm going to bring to you from the Bible, I believe, reveals how God wants to restore you to your original intention in the created order. Anybody read the Bible yet? Get into Genesis at all, 1 and 2? You should be that far. Genesis 1 and 2 talks about how God created the heavens and the earth and that how, what his intentions for us are. And one of his intentions was for us to have fellowship with him. But then sin came into the world in Genesis chapter 3 and broke that fellowship. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross makes a way for that to be restored so that we can have fellowship with God again. That's the prayer part. Our fellowship with God is restored. So our place in the created order, our intended place in the created order is restored through the work of Christ. Last week, praise. Praise is part of the reason we were made. The whole creation was made to praise God. Remember when Jesus on Palm Sunday was riding into Jerusalem and everybody was going crazy, Hosanna, Hosanna. And the Pharisees got all worked up and they said, Jesus, silence your disciples. What did he say? He said, if they, if, if, if they be quiet, if they become quiet, then even the what? 
Even the rocks will cry out. Even the rocks will cry out. Because God made them to praise himself. And so we are made to praise God. And so as we come to Christ, it's about, of course, about going to heaven later. Of course it's that. But it's about restoring fellowship and prayer. It's about restoring uh, praise and extolling who God is, reflecting his glory in this way. And it's also about relationships. Because the Bible says in something like Genesis 2.18, after God made man, he made everything, he made man, and he looked at man, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. It's not good. He said, this, this guy isn't done. And he said, therefore, I will make a suitable helper for him. The Hebrew of that is completion. I will complete him with a woman. Okay? And so this wonderful thing happens where he says, and he's saying to us, we're created for relationship. We're created for relationship. This is God's intention for us, is to live in relationship. Relations, very special, important relationships in our lives. Now, the devil himself wants to break that, right? How do we see that? Genesis chapter 3, what happened? Sin came into the world, changed the whole scenery, did it not? What's the first thing that happened to relationships when, uh, when sin came into the world? We have this beautiful relationship between Adam and Eve, right? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's writing songs about her, the whole thing, right? I mean, it's just fantastic. God comes after the devil comes in and says, What is going on here? Who caused you to eat of that? And the man said in verse 12, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. He threw her under the bus. (laughs) This is the first thing that man does. The relationship is broken by sin. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, honey. She did it. (laughs) This is sin. Now, Jesus Christ died on the cross to cover our sin, to cancel our sin for later, but also to begin restoring us to our place in the created order. Part of that is so we can have loving relationships with each other. We have this now. We have the opportunity uh, to have this now. If you just turn over one more chapter in Genesis to Genesis chapter 4, you see the other effect on relationships from sin, and that's Cain and Abel. They have it out, and one of them ends up dead. Relationship by God, intention broken by sin. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, rises from the dead, ascends to the Father, creates a way for our place in the created order to be restored. So that's part of it. Make sense? So yeah, I'll start again. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So let's talk about really what I, want, what I mean by the right kind of people, having taken into account what I said earlier. The right kind of people... I think will come to us in, we can think of them in four ways. And uh, uh, some of this teaching is going to be a little redundant. You've heard it before, but since you're not doing it, I'm going to keep preaching it, okay? Uh, The first one we're going to call covenant relationships. Covenant relationships. These are the unbreakable, the spiritually bonded, unbreakable relationships. You know, don't you just connect with some people? Come on, on a spiritual level, like, it's way more than, yeah, I like that person. But it's like, I don't know, I, I just sense a spiritual connection. Some of those can grow to the place of being unbreakable, unbreakable covenant relationships. It's pretty cool. The most obvious, as I've referenced before, the most obvious example of this is marriage. And I use this as Jesus even said. He quoted 
what had been said in Genesis, that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So that's a covenant relationship. That's why divorce is such a big deal, is because it's a, it's a breaking of the covenant relationship, and they're meant, they're meant to be unbreakable. They're meant to be enduring. And so I'm not going to do any teaching on that subject at this point, other than to say... You know, when I think about covenant relationships and I kind of think about the way marriage has devolved in, in our culture, I really, I, my heart really breaks for many of you because you were never told about covenant relationship. You were never told that when you say I do, that when you say I do, that you have the opportunity to be joined in covenant. I kind of agree with C.S. Lewis. I think that there are two kinds of marriages that have happened in the, in the modern and postmodern culture, and that is there's, a, there's a, a, a spiritual bonding, and then there's a civil marriage. So that many people have come together and said, I do, aren't really covenant joined at all because they, they had no intention. They had no even understanding or embracing of it. That's a bigger deal. But I just want to be sensitive to those of you who you know, are divorced and maybe remarried and you're kind of trying to sort all this covenant stuff out. I want to be sensitive also to those of you who are in a kind of a marriage where, you know, maybe you really are passionate about Jesus and maybe the, your partner is not. I, I, I can only imagine how difficult that kind of a relationship is. And I wish I had good answers for you about what covenant means in those circumstances, but I don't. So I'm going to ask you, would you continue to pray for me, please, about this? Because I want to bring you stuff. All I know is I'm married in covenant. I got this little short woman who just, there, there's, there's no getting away from her, right? And she'd never want to leave me. So, I mean, come on, you know? So I, I don't pretend to have all the answers for all of you, but I want them. And I want to meet that. And so be patient with me as maybe God reveals that to me over time. But, you know, you're saying, is it possible maybe to have a covenant relationship outside of marriage? Absolutely. You know how I think for, I mean, the vast majority of times they should be brother to brother or sister to sister because, you know, the cross-gender kind of thing can really, can really create some new issues for you. I think you need to be un unbelievably sensitive about pursuing that. But... What I'm saying is, you know how you're just kind of connected with another brother? You get connected and you get a trust building and all that stuff, or another sister in the Lord? Those can be covenant relationships. They're very safe places, and they're important. And I hope you can identify just a small number of them. I hope you can identify them, or at least if you're not there yet, maybe begin to just ask God, could I have a covenant relationship? Could I have a covenant brother? Could I have a covenant sister? Okay, any questions? Good. Next, then, let's talk about confessional relationships. We've been here before. James 5.16 simply says this. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, how many of you, like me, want to be delivered from your habitual sins? Some of you don't? No, I just don't raise my hand, dude. <laughs> I do. We all do, of course. And we keep sometimes revisiting these things. Like, how do I get out of this? The Bible says, therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Sometimes we don't do the second thing. 
we get all sorrowful about our sins and maybe confess them in some way, do we get specific prayer from a trusted brother, a trusted sister who can hear the details of my sin? This is, a, this is an, an incredible reality when it happens. Your life will change. Now, you don't just go pick somebody and say, hey, you want to be my confessional brother? This takes time too, right? You let God develop this. Confessional brothers, confessional sisters, people that you can talk to and you know, first of all, it's not going anywhere, no matter how juicy it is, right? It's not escaping this context and that the heart of that person is to pray for me. Okay. I call him your sump pit brother, your sump pit sister. You know how down in the basement of your house you got that place where your sump pump runs? And all the water from the outside, you know, kind of comes in and keeps your basement from flooding, you know? Yeah, well, so when you got your new house and your friends came over and said, well, show me your house, and you're walking through it, and you well, this is this, 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 you never took and showed them your sump pit. You never said, oh, I hear something I really got to show you, man. Look at all this junk down in here, man. Look at that. What do you think about that sludge down in there, huh? You don't do that. And you don't do that with your life. You don't say, here I am. Here are my ups, here are my downs, and here's my sump pit. You need somebody you can do that with. Sometimes they're the covenant person. Sometimes they're one and the same, but not always. Ask me what the third kind is. Ministry relationships. In uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 1, it says that Jesus appointed the 72, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town where he was about to go. That's what that verse says when we get there. We'll verify it. He sent them out two by two, that the intention of Jesus was to hook brothers up in ministry together. Nobody running out there, lone rangers, doing it on their own. Nobody. You've got to have a brother. You've got to have somebody that you're in a kind of spiritual tune with. It was funny today when Tony and I were messing around here coming up because God was telling me, man, he was so clear. Call them up. See if they want to come up. See if they want to come up. Tony wanted to come up and do that thing. So we're looking at each other like, who gets to go up first and tell them, you know? And that just shows, you know, that we're brothers in ministry together, right? And everybody should have that. Everybody should have that. Everybody should have that. How do you get a brother of ministry or a sister of ministry? You go and do ministry, right? You got to get up and go do some ministry, and you'll find yourself connecting with people, and they become, uh, they become ministry Ministry brother, ministry sister. I find, see, see if anybody else agrees with me. Do you find? I find that my affection for individuals grows as I minister with them. I mean, I love all y'all. You know that. But there's a thousand of you all together, so I can't love yuns. We've been over that ground, right? I want to. I'd, I'd love to, but just not that much of me to go around. You should be thankful for that. Okay. Now, But I find I'm able to develop pure, and I'm talking about affection in the best possible way, just real joy and love for and desire to be with and give a hug to and stuff like that, just in the purest possible ways. People I minister with. I tend to minister in three main areas. One is prayer. And so the people that I pray with, the people who come to prayer meetings and stuff that I'm in with, I find myself falling in love with them. And I think you you will too in your areas. There have even been people who have started coming to the prayer meetings that I didn't like. Now you're going, now wait a minute. <laughs> so you're saying there's some people you don't like? <laughs> Is it me? It's me. It's me. I, it's probably you. Yeah. 
I don't I'm just saying, I'm a man like everybody else, right? Some people, you kind of go, wow, yeah, that's cool. And some people are going, you know, okay, go do your thing, right? It doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you don't have the chemistry going on there. But I've had some people start coming to prayer meeting, and when we prayed together, I abs- the whole thing flipped. Because you will develop affection for people you minister with. Also in worship is another area for me. When, like last week, when I wasn't supposed to lead worship last week, it, something came up, and so I kind of had to stand in here unprepared and led worship with these guys. We had such a great time last week. <laughs> it was so crazy. Anybody get the license plate on that bus that plowed through here? I don't know. <laughs> but I felt so much love for these people. I felt love because affection. In fact, there's one guy, I won't say his name, but it's Don Pierce. He's a big old guy over here with a beard. <laughs> and he's over here. Playing guitar, right? Well, I met him. He started coming to this ministry 15 years ago, I guess. And he was all kind of a Chuck Smith, ex-hippie guy, you know. He's actually not ex. He's just a hippie. And, and he comes up to me. And probably about the second time he, he met me, he said something like, well, you know, the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. One of these times I'm just going to greet you with a holy kiss. And I warned him. I said, if you do, I will return the greeting with a holy pop in the mouth, if you do. And so that joke's kind of been going on. It surfaces every couple of years, you know. I got to tell you what happened last Sunday. We were done. After the second service, God was on us. We were just being blessed so much up here. We were all done putting our stuff down. And I just came over here, and I planted a kiss on his cheek. <laughs> and and he, and he said something like, he was stunned, first of all. <laughs> so anyway, that's done. We're done with the holy kissing, Don, okay? It's all over. Don't, don't be getting any ideas. <laughs> okay. I won't. I didn't tell it at first service. You weren't here. <laughs> to be embarrassed. All right. But my point is, I digress. You're going, yeah, there's lots of football on this afternoon. Uh, listen, my point is simple. My point is this, is that as you do ministry together, you will develop affection for each other. Yesterday, Karen and I got to go out. We don't always get to go or often get to go. Just our schedules. We got to go on the grocery giveaway at South Point, which is really a cool thing. You know, you guys bring all those thousands of groceries all the time. Once a month, one of the things we do, besides feeding the homeless and stuff, is go down to South Point. It's a housing development that just, they know we're coming, and they're there, and they're waiting. And raise your hand if you've ever been on that run. That's a cool run, isn't it? That's so cool. Yesterday we got to go, and I felt affection for those people, you know, just working together. And it just, you know, it just the bond grew, right? It just grew. And, and uh, it, it's just so cool because you just have that opportunity to grow together. So how do you get those kind of relationships? You show up. Show up for ministry. See who's in the room that... Maybe you can tolerate. Number four, ask me what it is. Oh, son of a gun. Thank you. Compassion relationships. In Luke chapter 10, just a page over from where we just were, uh, Jesus tells a story about the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10. Likely many of you are familiar with it, but the short version goes like this. There's, There's a guy who's going along his way, and he falls into the hands of robbers and thieves, and they beat him up and leave him for dead. A couple of you know, like super spiritual people walk, see him, and they go on the other side of the road so they don't have to deal with them. 
and this Samaritan comes along. Samaritan, you know what I'm saying? Wrong kind of people. He comes along, and he sees this guy, and he goes, oh, man. He scoops him up. He takes him to an inn, gets him medical treatment, uses his own money to take care of him. And Jesus makes a point that that's the life we're supposed to be living, a, compass- a life of compassion. Compassion is, ex- is, is expressed. You don't just feel compassion. It costs you something. And we should have compassion relationships, relationships, people in our lives where we consistently express kindness toward them, help to them. Okay, now let me differentiate. There's a difference between compassion relationship and a sympathy relationship. I'm not asking you to have sympathy for anybody. If you have sympathy for somebody, what that means is you say, man, it sucks to be them. I must be up here, they're down there. I feel so sorry for them, right? That's sympathy. Hey, guess what? Here's where we are, right? Nobody's above anybody else. And so we're not talking about feeling sorry. Yesterday, I went into the South Point, and they have this room, this kind of community room, and this housing development where we bring the groceries and the other stuff. And the residents come in, and they start to sit. And you can tell it's just a wonderful thing. And Pam, who leads the ministry, she prays. It's just, it's just too cool. So anyway, Karen and I, we had our grandson Theo with us, and we were sitting kind of with, with the residents and just relating and stuff. I saw this guy sitting back here. And he's sitting by himself, so I go over there. I sit down next to him. I stick out my hand. I said, hi, my name's Tom. And you know what he says back to me? He says, I'm a drunk. I mean, that's the first thing he says. I didn't feel sorry for him. I felt compassion for him. And these words came out of my mouth, smarter than me. I said, that's real nice, but I'm sure that's not your name. What's your name? And he said, my name's Shorty. And we talked. We talked for 20 minutes. At the end of the talk, he said, would you pray for me? Hot diggity dog. That's God at work in compassion. There's no sympathy. I'm no better than him. I didn't feel sorry for him. We go to the leper colony in Bargur, India. And one of the, the, the elder of the church, he's... I don't remember his Indian name. I, I, it's hard for me to remember a lot of Indian names. And, but this guy, he's, he's shorter than Karen. <laughs> he's in the fours somewhere, and he's the elder of the church, isn't he? he some of you know who I tell you. You've been there with me, and, and uh, I call him Zacchaeus because he's short. And um, I don't feel sorry for him. I admire his faith. When we talk about Jesus together, he, he says things that I hope to be able to think about someday. Because he knows Christ with a depth. So we're not talking about sympathy. We're talking about God leading you to show compassion. The Greek word is splanknizomai. I just said that because I learned it. Okay. But having an outward focus in your relationships is what keeps them from becoming stagnant. Because in the top two, you could, you could become kind of in, inverted, or in, not inverted, inward, inward devoted. That's inverted. I combined those two words. Okay? And you have to have an outlet or the thing becomes stagnant. If any of these relationships is missing as a category, then I don't think you're going to be able to live your best life. So look up there now and go, do I have those relationships? And which are, if I do, which are stronger than others? Which could use the Lord's attention? Because this is really, when you see this, 
I think that's a description of a mature believer right there. That's a, that's a mark of Christian maturity. It, it's a mark of immaturity to go, I don't need anybody. I don't want relationships. I've been hurt, and I, and I understand that. But you know what? You, there is no provision in the New Testament for living the Christian life in isolation. You can't stay the baby. That's not an option. I was thinking this week about how cool it would be if that were an option, just to stay a baby. You know, you're watching football, and you've got to use the restroom. You don't have to do anything. You just... <laughs> you're done. The other thing I thought about babies was this. I know, just when we're getting important and serious, I know, was this, is that when babies start crying, I notice that people will do almost anything to shut them up. They'll give them anything, right? Am I right? I mean, it's like, anything, I don't know, give her heroin, I don't care. It's like, if, but if I start screaming right now, you all just leave. You won't give me what I want. But anyway, you can't stay a baby in Christ. That's not God's intention for you. You've got to take on some of these more mature options. I wonder, you know, you know how difficult it can be to be, uh, to be in these relationships. And if you think about how much of the New Testament is devoted to repairing broken relationships, you know the devil doesn't want this. The devil wants to destroy each one of those relationships. And you've got to fight him. You've got to defend it. They're worth it. They're worth the work. I was thinking this week about how two brothers in my life, they're so close. I'm so close to them. And in, in each case, both those two brothers, just a few years ago, that rela- each of those relationships were pretty much defunct, broken by disagreement, misunderstanding, and we were not attending to them. But we did the work of reconciliation, and we did the work of forgiveness, and now those two relationships are among the strongest relationships I have. It's worth the work. It's worth the work. Do the thing. But I guess I just really want you to know that, um, you know, at the end of the day, yes, you are not alone, okay? You're not meant to do this alone. It's not about just getting your sorry hide to heaven. It's about you being a part of a relational community where God gets more glory, more glory through you, okay? And then also at the end of the day, I want you to know, or at the core of this, is we are only going to be able to offer this kind of version of ourselves to others to the degree that we're experiencing the love of God inside of us. You can't talk yourself into this, okay, I guess I better go get a covenant, brother. It's not going to work. What's going to happen? You need to draw near to God. You need to draw near to God and, and let him love you and let him love you just the way you are. And let the work of Christ work in your life. And then as you experience more and more of the love of God, celebrate more and more the love of God, you'll have the internal resource to go and do that thing that was up on the board, okay? So, Father, I, I just thank you for these men and women and young people in this room and for your intention for us as believers. I thank you for, for their attention to just what... I consider to be your word for us, Lord. I thank you for their trust in me, but more in you, Lord. And I just thank you for this place, for the awesome, beautiful diversity of this place, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you don't have to be one kind of person to make it here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for 
you know, the relationships that are so tight and strong, and thank you for the ones that we're struggling with right now. I know you're teaching us something through the struggle. Thank you, Father. So we just open ourselves up to the dynamic of loving each other, God. We want to be, be known by this, Lord. We don't want to be known by our confrontation. We want to be known by our love for one another, God. We want it to be known that when a person walks in this place, they experience your love, that you're here. And so would you just come now for these precious brothers and sisters of mine? Would you just come for us all and pour out your love on us as we just take a few minutes to respond to you in worship? In the name of Jesus.